We're reading from Matthew 21, which is on page 988, if you've got a red Bible. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things and he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your prayer. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the season of Lent is coming to a close as we begin Holy Week. So I suppose if you'd given up something for Lent, don't worry, it's on the horizon that you can take it back up. But we've been journeying through Lent. And uh, whilst there's been many themes that we could have spoken of, there's been this awakening of the idea that there is this spiritual kingdom of God which is breaking into the physical and starting to transform the physical. And so I said that we live in a world that kind of denies anything transcendent, but we actually, when it comes to crises in the world, we, we become acutely aware that there is this thing called evil. But we began our Lenten journey with the idea that Jesus was tempted in the desert but because he had gone to prayer for 40 days, it was those 40 days in prayer that had helped sustain him against the temptation of the devil. And we've been on a journey of 40 days of prayer as well. And then we kind of talked about Nicodemus who visited Jesus late at night and Nicodemus was revealing that he believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but he had too much to give up to follow Jesus as his disciples. Although though we will find out on Good Friday, Nicodemus is there to give Jesus a burial. Each person, according to uh, Jesus and in the interaction with Nicodemus, needs to be born again. They need to have a spiritual awakening to what God is doing in their life. It's not just being a matter of being born Jewish, or in our case, being born a Christian, no, we actually have to have a spiritual conversion where we take it to be true in and of ourselves. And then at the well, Jesus announced that he was the living water to a Samaritan woman. And after a little argument about whether they worship on the temple in Jerusalem 
or on the hill in Samaria, Jesus says it doesn't matter which physical location because the day will come where we'll worship in spirit and truth. And then Jesus opened the eyes of the blind man to reveal the spiritual blindness of the religious leaders. And again, he called everybody who was listening and even us today as we hear that to see with spiritual eyes, to open the eyes of our heart and see that the kingdom of God is breaking in. And then we heard how Jesus wasn't late to heal Lazarus. He was perfectly on time to raise Lazarus from the dead because he wanted to raise Lazarus from the dead as a foretaste of what would happen on Easter Sunday. And today we hear Jesus entering into Jerusalem as a king. He comes into the temple and that's where some significant things happen. And, and whilst Palm Sunday, and we have the palms here, uh, thanks to Burundara Council who, who gave us palm fronds this week, um, we have the palms here to remind us of the occasion. And the day is sometimes called Palm Sunday because of the, the, the sense of them waving palms as Jesus enters in. But today I want to focus on what happens when he gets to the temple. Because this account occurs in all four uh, gospel. But Matthew, who's been trying to show that the Old Testament prophesied about the coming Messiah and that one day when the Messiah comes, there will be some things that will happen. Jesus is coming and doing the things that were forecast about what the Messiah would do. And so Matthew is trying to continue that revealing that uh, Jesus is the Messiah of the Old Testament prophecy. And so Jesus comes in and in Matthew's account, he goes straight to the temple. And he goes straight to the temple because there's some significant things happen there. And, and if you don't know about what happens on the road in, you can ask me after the service, but you've possibly heard that before. But Matthew brings Jesus into the very temple. You see, at the time of Jesus... The, the, the temple was the centre of everything religious in the life of Jude. Remember, Jesus had spent some time in Galilee, which is up in the north, and, and those Jews were considered lesser Jews because they were further from the temple. The closer you were to the temple, the closer you were to the hub of the action. It's kind of like if you're a politician, the closer you are to Parliament House, the, the, the more important you are. You want to be in Parliament House because that's where all the stuff happens. And so, in the eyes of the religious leaders, whatever happened in Jerusalem, that was something which was far more important than anything else that occurred. And so, what was happening was that as the Jewish people spread across the Roman Empire, they were told that they had to come back to Jerusalem to pray. They had to come back to Jerusalem to pray and offer sacrifice to atone for their sins. Because the idea was that Jesus, in Jesus' day, that God himself dwelt in the temple, that God himself lived in the temple. So when Jesus says this is meant to be a house of prayer, it's actually meant to be a house of God and a house for God. If you wanted to get close to the presence of God, then the closer you got to the Holy of Holies in the temple, the closer you got to God. So no wonder they thought down on the Jews who lived in Galilee because they were further from the presence of God than the Jews who lived in Jerusalem. So imagine the diaspora who had gone right across the Roman Empire, how down they would look on them. But imagine that you're, for example, you're a Jew and, and you, you're living in Rome or you're living in uh, Thessalon Thessalonica or, or one of the other cities 
and you want to come to do your duty, you want to come to offer sacrifice to atone for your sin and you want to pay your temple tax, well, guess what? You're probably not going to load up your perfect lamb and travel for three or four days on the road because there's a chance that that Rome that that lamb would actually be uh, defected by the time you got there and, and would be rejected by the people who stood at the temple gates, making sure that all the lambs were perfect. So guess what? You, you came empty-handed and you had to buy a lamb and do you think you were going to get a lamb at the same price that you could back at home? No, they, they had jacked the prices up to make a profit for themselves. And if anyone did bring a lamb from... Uh, their own hometown, then the, the, the people at the front would lose money, so they would find some reason why that lamb was defective and not able to be used, so that you had to buy one of their lamb. And guess what? You also came with money from your local town, and that money wasn't good in the temple, so you had to exchange your money for the money that could be used in the temple, that was good money and worthy to be used in the temple. So, in the day of Jesus... People who wanted a position of power got themselves a job at the temple. The religious leaders who wanted prestige wanted to be connected with the temple. And just as the Roman leaders and soldiers had used corrupt practices of taxation to make money for themselves, the religious leaders who ran the temple had done the same. And so it's into this corrupt environment of the temple that Jesus enters. Jesus enters into this environment and he shows us the outrage that God has for what's going on in his temple. He shows us by clearing the money changers and overturning the tables and calling that this should be a house of prayer. He does this in order to show that the temple in Jerusalem should be a place where everybody is welcome. Everybody is able to get close to the presence of God irrespective of whether you could afford it or not. And the religious leaders had turned the temple into it. They turned it into a business where it was good for them and it was unfortunate for the poor, the needy, the marginalised. And Jesus is outright. Now, I was actually thinking, I, 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 was, down at a church on, um, I was down at a church on Thursday in Launceston and the, the pastor was just preaching through Lamentations and he said that he came into church wearing sackcloth and ashes. And um, we were talking about maybe sometimes in our sermons we could do something symbolic. So I was actually thinking about overturning a table to show you how violent it is. But I'm not going to overturn a table because I was actually thinking it's very confronting. I don't even know that I would be able to get up the courage to overturn a table and have it fall on the ground making a loud sound. And that's just one table. But Jesus actually doesn't just kind of politely ask them to clear out, he violently overturns their table. There's even some accounts where he, he uh, turns a cord into a whip to kind of get them out of, the, out of there. This is a, a very confronting image and in some ways, last week we heard Jesus wept and in this week we hear Jesus gets outraged. But, but I think it's a holy outrage, I actually think it's, it's a sign of what God is thinking. It's like Jesus is tapping in to the, the, the people who are mourning last week and this week he taps into the emotional heart of God who is outraged that this house of prayer has been turned into a business. And in some ways Jesus is demonstrating 
that his Father in heaven gets outraged at the injustice in the world. You see, we actually have a God who loves justice. We have a God who has placed his people into the world to fight for justice. But in many ways, I think the religious leaders of their time, they were kind of saying that God lived in the temple, but they knew that God was displeased with them and had gone out of the temple. So his presence was no longer in the temple. And that's why Jesus often spoke about his Father in heaven rather than his Father in the temple. But they didn't care. They didn't care that they didn't have the presence of God because it was a big business. And as long as they got their prestige, they didn't care. And Jesus says that we should care. Because in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 35, we hear what happens when the Messiah comes. When the Messiah comes to liberate the people, it says, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come, he will come with vengeance with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped and the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. That's what happens when the Messiah comes. So you can see as Jesus has been fulfilling the signs of the Messiah and Matthew's been accounting for all of that to show his audience that Jesus is the Messiah of the Old Testament prophecy. You can understand why Matthew doesn't just stop at Jesus' triumphant entrance into Jerusalem, but he takes him the next step to actually go into the temple and announce to all the world that he is the Messiah because this comes to be fulfilled. Jesus comes as strong. He comes with vengeance and overturns the big business of the temple. He comes with divine retribution. He comes to open the eyes of the blind and the people who can't hear come and their ears are open and those who can't walk come to him and they're able to walk. Matthew is telling us that Jesus comes as a king, yes, but he comes as the Messiah. It's not just important to come as a king because that would imply he's going to take over the physical kingdom, but he comes as the Messiah because he comes to bring a spiritual kingdom and it's the spiritual kingdom that's the most important thing. So as Jesus comes into the temple, he performs these tasks and he performs these tasks in a way that says to the world, announces to the world that the Messiah is here. But the religious leaders, the religious leaders don't want him to. The religious leaders who should be welcoming the Messiah with open arms, they don't want the Messiah to come because it disrupts the big business. It disrupts their business. It, it will disrupt their prestige because no longer will the people look to them, but the people will look to the Messiah. And so in many ways, Jesus is bad for business. And that's why it says that they want to kill Jesus. Jesus is tested and he's challenged while the people are coming to him. They're coming to him, he's performing these signs as promised in Isaiah. And instead of the religious leaders being there and witnessing that, they retreat and they go to plot for his death. You see, Jesus is not killed on Good Friday because he was a challenge to the Roman authority. He's killed, he's a challenge to the religious, he's a challenge to the big business that they had established for themselves. And he has been tested and the people have acclaimed him as their Messiah. And to quiet the crowd on Good Friday, they'll pay another crowd to be there to ask for his death. In November 2022, so last year, on a thing I called Vision Sunday, I shared with us the idea that, that I see us being a church known for the presence of God. That I wanted us to be a church where people could come to St. Columns and encounter the living presence of God. And we do that in a number of ways. We do that in the way we read the scriptures. 
We do that in the way that we share community. We do that in the way we worship. We do that in the way we pray. We do that in the way we do small groups and pastorally care for one another. All of those things are ways in which we practice the presence of God or live in the presence of God. This passage in Matthew 21 shows us the importance of the presence of God. Because as Jesus goes into the temple, that's where God should be dwelling, but he's not. He's not dwelling there anymore. God's not dwelling there anymore because of the corrupt practices of the, the religious leaders. And so one of the things that Jesus does then, I don't know what the title of this passage in your Bible says, but some of the, some of the translations actually say Jesus cleanses the temple. It's the idea of Jesus is actually cleansing the temple in order to make it a place where the presence of God could dwell again. Get rid of the corrupt practices, get rid of the corrupt leaders. But rather than Jesus re-establishing the temple, Jesus is actually going to establish the day where people will worship in spirit and truth. And so remember the woman at the well, where they're having a debate about the mountain or the temple? Jesus is actually cleansing the temple symbolically, but he's also saying the day will come where we won't worship here in the temple. And we know from our church history that the Romans actually come and totally destroy the temple. And what we see in Jerusalem today is as a result of that Roman destruction. But interestingly, the church flourished. The church which wasn't tied to a location but had the living presence of God in our hearts through the Holy Spirit actually flourished and thrived. So what Jesus does on this day has significance for us as Christians because it's a reminder that Jesus is the Messiah of the Old Testament. Therefore, all the things we read in the Old Testament come to fulfilment in Jesus and point us to Jesus. But also, it reminds us that the church is more than just worshipping in a building. Now, buildings are important and and I love coming into our building here and I love uh, on my walk from my house through that door into the office. I love pausing here every day and even this week, as I was in here um, this week, I just kind of spent time looking at the stained glass. And it's a beautiful building. And it's a great place to be. But just like Jesus challenged the religious leaders, the church is not into building. The, the church is not in the property. I mean, we want to care for our building, sure. But the buildings help serve our mission. The mission's not the maintenance of our buildings. The, the, the maintenance of our buildings is important and we steward this for future generations, but that's not our core business. So if we're caring for our building and we're not making disciples, then we're not doing our core mission. If we're maintaining our buildings, but we're not using them as a house of prayer, then we're really creating museums, aren't we? The church is also blessed with resources and people who have great skills, but but I'm not a resource manager, that's not my title. I'm, I'm the, the vicar, I'm the pastor, I'm here to equip the saints, which is all of you, for the mission of Jesus. And so we need to do resource management well, but that's not our core business. Again, some people like to feed the homeless and that's a good thing, but the church is not a restaurant. Some people like to uh, clothe those who can't afford clothing and run op shops and that's, that's good that they do that, but the church is not a clothing shop. And some people have turned the church into a social club where Christians get together and they kind of have good Christian friendships, but nobody else is welcome. And again, the church is not a social club. What the church is, is the church is a community of prayer and discipleship. Maybe the challenge of Jesus that this is a, a, a house of business instead of a house of prayer, that's a challenge for the church today. Are we known as being a house of prayer? Are we, are we known as a 
as a place where people can go if they want to know more about Jesus? Are we known as a church where if people want to experience the presence of God, and in our world people don't say that, but, but most people these days are actually looking for some sense of transcendence, something beyond themselves that shows that there's something more to the frail world that they see. They're looking for something transcendent. And if we're not known for that, then I think we've missed the call and perhaps drifted into the challenge that Jesus offered the temple. Are we known as a house of prayer? The church is called to prayer. And so when people encounter Christians, they should be encountering people who are deeply connected with the spiritual kingdom of God through prayer. And so even this week, as I was talking to some other pastors and we were just saying, you know, sometimes we can be wondering what the next great ministry strategy that's going to bring revival or going to bring breakthrough, or even see growth in our church? Is, is it going to be missional communities? Is it going to be micro-churches? Is it going to be big evangelistic events? Is it going to be public talks? What is it? But the reality is, it's being a house of prayer. When Christians are deeply connected with God in prayer, and see the spiritual kingdom of God breaking into our world, that's when we're effective. And we do that through worship, we do that through studying the Scriptures, we do that through uh, getting into small groups and praying with one another, getting into church and praying with one another, going out into our workplaces and praying as we go. That's how we are a community of prayer. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, so Mark is going to call us to be a champion house of prayer. And some of you might be even like me thinking, yeah, but I'm not good at prayer. And so if we're meant to be known for a house of prayer, and I'm not good at prayer, how can I be effective? I think Jesus is actually asking for the state of our heart, not the level of our performance, to be the judge of a house of prayer. So I struggle in prayer. You probably struggle in prayer. But it's not about you getting prayer perfectly. It's about coming back to prayer time and time and time again. Notice Jesus didn't call the temple to reform so that it would offer perfect. He just said it's a house of prayer. And when we offer a house of prayer... It's where people who don't know how to pray get in the room and share with one another the best that they can. So as we journey this week through Holy Week, my invitation to you is to go on a deeper journey of prayer with God. And you might be saying to me, Mark, but, but I don't feel like that this week. If, if Lent came a couple of weeks, if Holy Week came a couple of weeks from now, then I'd be ready for that. It's not about being perfect. It's not about being ready. It's just about being willing to take that journey. If your prayer level is 1 out of 10 at the moment, enter into Holy Week expecting to get it to 2 or maybe 3. If you're on fire with God at the moment, you reckon you're about a 9 out of 10 in your prayer life, just expect by the end of the week to get to 10 out of 10. But God doesn't expect all of us at the end of this week to get to 10 out of 10. He just wants us to enter into the house of prayer, the community of prayer, the fellowship of prayer. So my encouragement to you this week is if you're in town, join us for the Holy Week event. If you're travelling, get into a local church and join them for the Holy Week events. This is the high point of the Christian calendar. I know it doesn't feel like that sometimes when we go out and, and Bunnings is telling us that this is a great four days to renovate your bathroom and travel agents are trying to sell us a four-day weekend and, and the shops are, are telling us this is great days of four days of shopping. Even the football is saying, look, we can get some really great games in this weekend. We don't live in a Christian world anymore. But that's even more important for us to make a conscious decision to enter into this week, expecting God 
to take us on a deeper journey. Lisa and I have had some amazing holy week. Some of the most uh, gut-wrenching, heartache experiences of our life have happened in holy and God's always met us there. We've always grown deeper God through holy and by the time I get to Easter Sunday every year it's kind of like it is the grand final, it is the peak, it is the experience that puts all of the heartache together, all of the times where I stuff up in prayer together because Jesus through the resurrection offers us grace so when we don't feel like praying, when we don't feel like coming to God understands all that and offers us grace. So let me pray for us as we this holy week. Gracious God we praise and thank you for your son Jesus, we thank you that through his life, death and resurrection we have a way of being in right relationship. As we enter into this holy week it's a call to deeper prayer, Lord we don't always feel perfect in prayer but Lord we know it's about our heart not our technique, we know it's about our willingness not our outcome and our performance. So Lord as we enter into this holy week may we be humble with one, may we be patient with and may we be supporting one another through whatever's going through our ups and downs this week and we expect that encounter us, meet with us, journey with us and so Lord we offer this week to you and we offer it to you for your good, in Jesus name we pray. The team are going to come and uh, lead us in the next...